There once were three little lambs at a livestock auction waiting to be sold. Their names were Simon, Tommy, and Harvey. Simon was restless. He said to Tommy and Harvey, I can't take it anymore. I'm tired of this. I'm breaking out. Harvey responded, don't you want to be sold to a shepherd? You'll be all alone out there. I don't care, said Simon. I'd rather shepherd myself. So he darted for the gate. He squeezed through and he was off onto his own. Then the auctioneer called and bids, called the bids out, and Tommy was sold. The buyer rose abruptly, and Tommy noticed that the man looked angry and cruel. Tommy trembled. The man towered over Tommy and, Tommy and brusquely grabbed him, and off they went. After watching Tommy's sale, Harvey was anxious. The auctioneer's mouth raced, the gavel fell, and Harvey was sold. A man approached Harvey. Stooped down, gently lifted Harvey into his arms and whispered kindly, I'm glad you're mine, little lamb. I will care for you well. Well, the months passed. Simon was still restless without a shepherd. He couldn't seem to find food, water, and and a nice pasture, so he was hungry and thirsty. His wool was disheveled and dirty. He, He loved his freedom, sort of. But yet something inside of him craved something more, a shepherd perhaps. No, no, he suppressed the thought and trudged on to the next town. Simon was now scrawny and susceptible, poor, scrawny and susceptible Simon. Tommy had a shepherd. He was fed, watered and sheltered. But he wasn't healthy. See, his shepherd was cruel and nasty. He yelled and kicked Tommy. Tommy was thankful for some provisions, but the barn was dismal, the water was murky, and the food was bland. Rarely was Tommy ever taken to the pasture to graze. Tommy had grown weak. Maybe he could escape like Simon. He was too scared to try. He wondered if good shepherds exist. Tommy was now terrified and trapped. Poor, terrified, and trapped Tommy. The months had flown by. For Harvey, he remembered the day he arrived at the farm. The farm was alive. The the children swarmed around their daddy who carried Harvey to the barn. Harvey remembered the kind man telling his children, care for this precious lamb as I would. You must love him well. The children gladly agreed. And the children, they kept their promise. They fed Harvey well, gave him sweet and cool water, kept his bed clean and warm, took him to the lush pasture often and gave him much affection. The children, they would shear Harvey's wool and and sometimes they would get too close and they would nick him. But Harvey knew that, that they loved him. Harvey had the shepherd's love. He was now healthy and happy. He wondered how Simon and Tommy were. He wished they were with him, blessed was healthy and happy Harvey. Jesus lovingly shepherds you through qualified and called elders so you can be healthy and happy in him. That's my point. Some people avoid godly leadership. Individuality is comfortable for them, so they miss out on the love Jesus has for them through local church leadership, and they end up spiritually scrawny and susceptible like Simon. Other people submit to ungodly leadership. Sometimes their leaders are cruel and domineering. Instead of gospel, they get law. 
Instead of flourishing beneath godly elders, their bad leaders coerce and manipulate them into fear and burden. They end up spiritually terrified and trapped like Tommy. Some people become trapped in another way. Their leaders are unbiblical. Uh, They may be warm. They may be friendly leaders, very amiable, but they lack gospel conviction and clarity, so they teach and shepherd their people right into error and spiritual carelessness. It can be a gradual, slippery slope. But many people submit to godly leaders who teach and shepherd them towards maturity in Christ. The the leaders are imperfect, no doubt, so the people hold them accountable to God's word. But they are also spirit-led and godly leaders, so their teaching and their oversight is life-giving, gospel. Submission to godly elders becomes the means to receive the love, care, nourishment, help, and protection of Jesus Christ for their health and their happiness. I have found in my life loving spiritual shepherding and oversight to be a tremendous blessing. Tremendous blessing. And and I found also inside of my heart that cynicism, which I've had, toward elders has only dampened my joy in Christ. I know from personal experience that Christians who are consistently skeptical, cynical, and stubborn toward their elders are not only resisting God's loving, shepherding plan for them, but they are missing out on wonderful blessings. Now, I was tempted to include a biblical defense of eldership from Scripture. I was tempted to explain what elders do or should do, but it, it, I found it was overwhelming me. There is too much for one sermon. And so I left that stuff out. I wanted to stay focused on the text that we have. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to first substantiate my main point. Second, show you that it is to your great advantage to joyfully submit yourself to the shepherding ministry of godly elders. Third, describe the kind of elders Jesus wants to lead you. And fourth, end with the grace of God at work in and through elders. So first, let me substantiate my main point. Jesus lovingly shepherds you through qualified and called elders. Jesus does shepherd us by his spirit through personal Bible study and prayer. Absolutely, he does. So why do we need the teaching and oversight of elders then? Good question. I'm glad you asked. First off, when you look at the New Testament, words like overseer, leader, shepherd, teach, authority, and rule, and phrases like exercising oversight or care for the church of God or submit to your leaders appear. They appear in the New Testament because God has a wonderfully designed plan to lead you, to lead you into the maturity in Christ. Consider this argument carefully. 1 Peter 2.25 refers to Jesus as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus shepherds our souls. Jesus oversees our souls. But when Paul called the elders of Ephesus together in Acts 20, he told them this, verse 28. Listen carefully. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The Holy Spirit made those elders overseers to shepherd and care for God's flock, the church. Now listen to 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 4. Peter addressed elders in local churches, and he told them this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. God places elders over his flock to lovingly shepherd and oversee them and to be examples of Christ for them. So the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, lovingly teaches and leads you through a group of elders that he places over you. This is the glorious pattern that we see in Scripture. And notice the use of the plural, elders. Dr. Philip Ryken noted, We are bound to conclude from the biblical usage that there is no difference in rank among the elders of the church and that therefore hierarchical forms of church government go beyond the teaching of Scripture. Excellent point. The elders are equals and they shepherd and lead together. Not one, but several. Uh, Wherever one elder outranks another or dominates the group, there you have an unbiblical and dangerous church leadership structure. Now, I recently, a little anecdote here for you, I recently presented what I thought was a great idea to the elders. They didn't favor it. And so lovingly, mind you, lovingly, they shot it down. (laughs) Done. We're not doing it. Um, And I just want to say, that's right. That's good. That's beautiful when things work that way. Each elder submits to the other elders. Each elder works beneath the oversight of the other elders. See, spirit-guided accountability is integral to the plurality of elders. When you trust that Jesus lovingly shepherds you through qualified and called elders, you position yourself for wonderful things. Wonderful things. Which brings us to this short but vital point. Submitting yourself to the qualified and called elders Jesus lovingly gives you is to your great advantage. Now, I know that there are horror stories of how uh, uh, the elder position and role and authority has been entirely abused. I know that. But if you submit to a godly group of elders, imperfect, but consistently Christ-like elders, you will benefit so much more than Christians who avoid oversight. Hebrews 13, 17 substantiates this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You. Why obey and submit? Because the elders keep watch over your soul. 
That's very important. That's a wonderful blessing to have people who love you and care for you that much to do that hard work. Why let them shepherd you with joy? Because it is to your advantage. Now, we might read that and expect that it would be to the advantage of the elders for you to have us do it with joy. But that's not what it says. It says, for your joy, let them do this with joy. To your advantage, rather. We all know how difficult obedience and submission can be. And how tough it can be to hear teaching, direct and strong teaching, correction, and admonishment. But we all know, and we have stories about this, we all know how valuable teaching, correction, rebuke, admonishment is in our lives to make us better, to make us more like Jesus. Hasn't that been your experience? You can see why God wants a certain type of man to fill that role, to fill that office. Not just any man will do. He must be a qualified, called, and godly man because of the goal and the work of an elder. The goal and the work of an elder demand that he be a certain type of man. Verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You have to know this. In the New Testament, the term overseer is really synonymous. It's the same as elder, leader, or shepherd. To aspire is not a selfish ambition for rank or status, but rather a conscious movement toward being the type of man that an elder should be and desiring the work or ministry of an elder. The the work of an elder is noble. The work of an elder is good. And that's where the man's desire should be. Not the rank, rather the labor. The labor. One of the best ways to identify a potential elder is he's already doing elder-type work and ministry in his family and in his church. So here are the kind of elders Jesus wants to lead. An elder must uh, possess all 14 of these qualities. This little Greek word day in verse 2 means must. It's a must. It's a necessity. It has to be. And keep this in mind. Very important point. Perfection in these 14 things is not required. Um, If it was, the church just flat out wouldn't have any elders. All right? So it cannot mean perfection. So Paul is advocating maturity in these 14 things. These things should typify an elder's life. In other words... It should be rare and out of character for an elder to act inconsistently with these 14 things. So here we go. Number one, above reproach. An elder must be faultless in conduct. Not perfect, not sinless, but blameless. His lifestyle should be exemplary in righteousness and free from scandal. Jesus is perfectly above reproach. Pilate said of Jesus, I find no guilt in him. John said, in him there is no sin. Peter added, he committed no sin. People could only falsely accuse Jesus because there was nothing about his life to accuse fairly. He was irreproachable. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect irreproachability is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful irreproachability. Number two, 
the husband of one wife. An elder must be all about one woman. One woman. The Greek is literally of one woman man. But it's more than just monogamy. The phrase implies that the overseer must love, serve, cherish, lay down his life for one woman, his covenant bride. He should not be a flirt or chummy with other women, nor addicted to pornography. An elder must be chaste. And to be clear, an elder doesn't have to be married. And we keep Paul in mind who who wasn't. Some understand Paul here to mean a general faithfulness to a spouse, which could apply in their minds to either a male or a female elder. Well, it can't be. Uh, Paul was inescapably talking about a man and his wife. That's the language he uses. And in chapter 2, verse 12... Paul prohibited a woman from teaching or exercising authority over a man and gives a rationale anchored not in culture, not in his opinion, but anchored in the created order. Also, the context and masculine references in verses 1 through 7 make it clear only qualified men should be elders, in part because only men can be the husband of one woman. Jesus is the perfect bridegroom. His bride is the church. He died in order to have her. He loves her exclusively. He holds fast to her alone. He is faithful to her. They are one. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect love for the church is magnified in and through an elder's imperfect but faithful love for his wife. Three, sober-minded, an elder must think clearly. Alcohol or substances should never cloud his reasoning. He must be temperate, lucid, and appropriately restrained. Jesus is perfectly sober-minded. He was never drunk, never distracted, never unrestrained. His mind is forever precise, focused, rational, and coherent. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect sober-mindedness is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful sober-mindedness. Number four, self-controlled. An elder must be able to manage himself well. He must be moderate, sensible, and discreet. He, He should not have a disordered or a chaotic life, spiraling out of control. All right, Jesus is perfectly self-controlled. He was self-disciplined in everything to obey God's will at all times. He ordered and oriented his entire life towards the honor and the glory of God. Therefore, Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect self-control is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful self-control. Number five, respectable. An elder must be proper and modest. This is the same word used in 1 Timothy 2.9 regarding respectable apparel for the ladies. Elders must be decent men, respectable men. Jesus is perfectly respectable. His life personified propriety and modesty and good order. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect respectability is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful respectability. Number six, hospitable. 
An elder must be a good friend and a gracious host to strangers. He must be generous and liberal with his home and his possessions. Jesus is perfectly hospitable. Not only did he feed thousands of people for free, healed various diseases, welcomed little children into his presence, his death on the cross was the supremely kind act which made aliens and enemies of God friends of God, to come close to God. And he's preparing right now an eternal home for us. That's perfect hospitality. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect hospitality is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful hospitality. Number seven, able to teach. An elder must be an apt teacher of scripture. He doesn't need to be a PhD. He doesn't need to be a published systematic theologian. He doesn't need to even be an intellectual, but he must have a firm grasp on the scripture and he must be able to simply and sufficiently instruct others in sound doctrine. He can be a simple man, a very simple man, but he must be able to discern truth, discern error, and explain and defend scripture. Titus 1.9 says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. As 1 Timothy 5.17 suggests, not all elders will devote themselves to the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. However, all elders must be sound in doctrine, able to teach it, and able to defend it against false teachers. That is needed. And as you can imagine, that takes some knowledge. That takes some skill. Jesus is the perfect teacher. He is the Word of God in human flesh. He is a divine theologian, matchless in his knowledge, perfect in his knowledge. His instruction is always exact. His instruction is always relevant. His instruction is always helpful. He never misleads anyone. People were astonished at Jesus' teaching ministry because he taught, unlike the scribes of their day, with authority from God's word. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect teaching and doctrine is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful teaching and doctrine. Number eight, not a drunkard. An elder must not be a drunk. He doesn't have to be a teetotaler, but if he drinks, he must always be responsible and never give the impression to anyone that he's inhibited. Drunkenness damages an elder's witness considerably and impedes his ability to think and to lead well. Jesus is perfectly and perpetually sober. He drank, but never once was he ever drunk or inhibited from thinking about God's will clearly. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect use of God's good gifts are magnified through their imperfect but faithful use of God's gifts. Number nine, not violent, but gentle. An elder must not be a bully. Pugnacious and harsh men should not be elders. 
The word but is significant in verse 3. An elder should avoid violence. Obviously, that's true. But more than that, an elder must be gentle, kind, tender. And I really like what Dr. Philip Ryken said about this. He said, the true strength of a man lies in gentleness. Think about that. Jesus is perfectly gentle. Hear him say to you this morning, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How gentle our chief shepherd is with us, with his sheep. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect gentleness is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful gentleness. Ten, not quarrelsome. An elder must not be looking for a fight. He must be a peacekeeper. His ministry will be about winning a person and not winning an argument. Huge difference. Jesus is perfectly peaceful. He is the prince of peace who gives peace and makes peace by the blood of his cross. He rationally, I love this about Jesus, he rationally dismantles all the opposing arguments, makes them look foolish, but he is not combative. He's he's never quarrelsome as he does that. He perfectly contends for the truth for the glory of God alone. His words are life to the people that are hearing them. Jesus wants elders to be like him. So that his perfect peacemaking is magnified in and through their perfect but faithful peacekeeping. Number 11, not a lover of money. Elders must not love money. They must be generous, content, and grateful men. They they can be rich. They can be poor. That doesn't matter. They must work hard. But they cannot be covetous men. Greed is out. Workaholism is out. Love of money corrupts a man's mind and distorts his thinking. Money makes a lousy master. You don't want a man that is serving money. I love Hebrews 13.5. It says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Study that sometime. Just meditate on that. Uh, An elder can be content because Christ is his treasure and he will never leave him. He will never forsake him. Christ will care for that elder infinitely more than money could ever do. Jesus is perfectly content. He was born into poverty, people, and yet he was content with God's will for his life. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect contentment and generosity are magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful contentment and generosity. Twelve, a good steward of his marriage and children. Look at verses four through five, four and five. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And I wish I could say more about this right now. I wish we could really plant here because I'm a champion of this message in particular. 
Um, but let me say this, that an elder must be a good pastor of his wife and children. A wife and children are wonderful, wonderful gifts from God that must be stewarded well. Paul used the Greek word proistemi, which implies authority and rule in the family. To manage is to exercise oversight in the family. And again, we can head right back to the created order where Adam was the head of Eve. God made him so. And an elder's home is a mini church. His faithfulness at home paces his faithfulness in the church. One way to find really good elders is to find really good husbands and really good fathers who are loving, serving, and teaching their wife and kids towards maturity in Christ. That's where you look. As the Spirit works in the man, his faithfulness will show the gospel at work in his family. He must shepherd his family, as the text says, with dignity and, or, or you could say propriety, or you could say in a way worthy of respect and esteem. His gospel-centered approach will be life-giving to his family, and you're going to see it in his wife. You're going to see it in his children, the gospel at work. And I want you to see something in verse 15. I think this is fascinating. Paul absolutely uses a strong word. He uses the word manage in relation to a, a, father, a husband and a father in his home. Manage, which implies ruling and oversight. But he also used the word care, which defines the type of managing. This is fascinating. The word for care here in this text shows up only two other times in the the New Testament, both in Luke 10, where the Samaritan tenderly cared for the man who had been robbed, beaten, and left for dead And he paid the innkeeper three days' wages to continue the care. The kind of management that Jesus desires in the home from the men is a loving, tender, extravagant, and sacrificial caring for the needs of others. Do you understand? Domineering is not a word that I have heard people use of the merciful Samaritan in, in, the, in Jesus' parable. Where he was so dominating all the time thinking of himself and pushing people down. Quite the opposite. Loving, care, sacrifice. Here's my money. I want him to be well. Take this. Please care for him well. That's the demeanor of an elder at home. Again, to be clear, elders don't need to be married, nor do they need to have children. Again, I want you to think of Paul in that case. Jesus is the perfect manager who tenderly cares for his church. His headship and shepherding leadership over the church is so affectionate, so gentle, so kind, so warm, and yet so strong. Strong. Because strength is in gentleness. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect care of the household of God is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful care of the house of God. Number 13, not a recent convert. This makes total sense. Look at verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Yikes. Elders must be seasoned 
Christians, mature Christians. A tested and tried faith is necessary. New Christians, they're awesome. We love new Christians. We want them to grow. We want to come alongside of them. But they shouldn't quickly ascend into leadership. They, they won't have the doctrinal wisdom and the maturity for the work. So this is uh, why later in 1 Timothy, Paul said this, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Don't be hasty to catapult someone into leadership. Be very careful with that. Making a man an elder too quickly could do one of two things. It could wreck the man and it could severely wound the church because he's not ready. I want you to imagine a hot air balloon. We see them sometimes around and I want you to imagine it flat on the ground and the hot air is getting pumped in and it's swelling up and it's filling up. That's what can happen here, folks. Pride swells a man quickly. This leads a man right into the same condemnation as the devil whose pride brought his destruction. It's a serious business. Jesus, well, he's not a convert. He's not a convert. He's God who makes converts. He saves people perfectly. Uh, he, is, he is supremely humble, supremely wise. He does the work of redemption. He was condemned in order to rescue us from our pride that would have killed us. Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect spiritual maturity is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful spiritual maturity. 14, well thought of by outsiders. Lastly, verse 7 says this, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, or we could say public reproach, into a snare of the devil. Elders must be well thought of by unbelievers outside of the church. It is devastating. It is disgraceful to the church when leaders fall into scandalous sin. Terrible. You've seen the effects of it in the church. God is still merciful. God is still grateful, but it is very hurtful. And even unbelievers are appalled when it happens. Yet when unbelievers can testify to the character of an elder, even if they persecute him, even if they kill him, they know of his character. They know of his reputation and God is glorified in that. Satan, you know what? He aims at elders. Do you realize that? If you're going to bring something down, where are you pointing? You're going after the elders. You're going after the leaders. If elders fall, disgrace comes, and that's exactly what Satan wants. The snare of the devil is a tempting trap, I know, from personal experience. So please pray for your elders. Pray for their godliness. Pray for their holiness. Pray for their humility. Pray that they depend on Christ. Pray that the Spirit is at work in them. We need grace. We need the Spirit. Pray for your elders. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Pray a good name for your elders. Jesus has a perfect name. He has a perfect reputation. Even people indifferent to Jesus couldn't give a lick about him at least agree that he was a good guy Jesus wants elders to be like him so that his perfect character and his perfect name is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful character and name here's the point Jesus wants elders to be just like him he appoints them to reflect his glorious character Tall elder, or tall elder. We want tall elders. They're wonderful. All right? You have to be 6'3". See, you got to catch that stuff because that's not in the text. 
I'm just saying, what was I going to say? I have no idea. Tall elders, tall order. I think that's what it was. That's a tall order, not a tall elder. All right. So when by grace, by the grace of God, elders are like Jesus and they shepherd like Jesus, the people are so blessed. The people are so blessed. They receive the shepherding care and oversight of Jesus through, get this, under shepherds that Jesus provides them. After this list, you may be tempted to look at it and think, this is impossible. I don't know any men like this. No men are like this, to which I would respond, perhaps you are hearing this through perfection instead of typification. Jesus is the perfection of these traits, but his grace actually produces these things in imperfect men, and they lead you by example, and they show you. Consider the grace of God in and through elders. If Jesus is going to lovingly shepherd you through qualified and called elders, then you must trust his sovereign spirit and grace to work in a group of men these qualities for your good. All of these qualities are produced in a man by the Holy Spirit. That's it. It's it's sovereign grace at work. The gospel has to work in the man. And, And you might not have many elders, but Jesus will give you exactly what you need. And as God works his grace in the elders, he will work his grace through the elders into your life. Their teaching will nourish and grow you. Their oversight will protect and help you. Their administration of the sacraments will assure and strengthen you. God will not only show grace to elders, but he will give you grace through the elders for your greater health and happiness. This is God's gracious design. So consider these um, applications and then I'm done. Your four elders are young. Uh, We have much to learn, but God is at work in and through us. I know it confidently. Your elders are exemplary men of God who are passionate about Jesus Christ and striving very hard to love and to lead you well. And we need you to hold us accountable to God's word. We need that. That's your responsibility to hold us accountable. If you know your elders, if you know these men and are close to them, you already know of their godliness. I know these men, I know their families, and they are showing us Christ. Please pray that we are focused, faithful, and fruitful elders for God's glory and your advantage. Pray for that. Number two, we need more qualified and called elders. I, I, this makes me nervous. We need a few men that are going to really step up over the course of the next few years. We need more men who desire the work, the noble work of shepherding ministry. Those men need to read. Those men need to study. Those men need to pray. Those men need to grow. They need to be faithful in their ministry assignments right now so that they are equipped to do the hard work of shepherding When the time comes, we want to train men. We want to encourage men, but it takes willing men. Let's go. Which of you men aspire? 
Which of you men desire the hard work? Three. It's that time of the year where we nominate elders and deacons. You need to take these qualifications very, very seriously. What men are exemplary in each of these 14 qualities? What men are exemplary husbands, exemplary fathers, and whose children are obedient and respectful? What men are already doing elder-like ministry here, teaching and shepherding others? What men do you see striving to be like Jesus? Like that's the ambition of their life. And then prayerfully consider all of this, all of this. Maybe listen to it 40 times before you put names down on that sheet. Think this through. Nominate men that you believe. This is, a, this is such a great test. Nominate the men that you want to be shepherded by. The ones that you see, I want to be like them. I want them to get close to me and to help me thrive in Christ. Nominate those men. Now I'll end with this. Jerusalem church is revitalizing. We're coming alive. It wasn't in a good place years ago. But we're getting into a good place. And I think in large part because of faithful leadership that has been here for several years. Prior to me. Uh, Many of you, men and women, have been directly involved with our return to scripture in this particular area of leadership. And I thank God for you. That is so precious to see your hunger, to do it God's way. And I believe it is a return to scripture. I believe it is a return to follow Jesus in all things that is bringing life to our church. I praise God. Thank you, God, for the work that you are doing here. And may we continue. Pray for us pathetic elders. We so desperately need God's help. Um, But good things are happening here, my friends. Good things. And it is for our benefit and God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you are doing here at Jerusalem Church. it's, It's not simply through the elders. Oh, my. It's through the body of Christ. We all have a role to fill. All of us is equally important in your eyes. You just give us different roles. So, God, would you help the Spirit just... Help us to be faithful in the role that we've been given. And if we're not serving in the church, not doing anything, I pray that you convict those about that and help them to find what what you want them to do and to be faithful. I pray that you will raise up godly men. We need need laborers for the harvest to go out and, and, and we need people to lead and we need men to be godly at home with their wife, 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 yeah, with their wife, with their wife, And with their children, uh, God, so that they can be good managers of, of your church, good shepherds. God, would you make it so for your glory? We need you to show up and to do this. In Christ's name we pray, amen.